0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, just for a change, by Vanishing Inc. My guest today, according to some research, but I didn't know the first fact, you can may confirm momentarily, is a computer programmer, according to Geniepedia, writer and script writer. He's an amateur magician who just happened to write one of the most important books in magic ever written, with the help of 26 friends. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Pete McCabe. Pete, how are you this afternoon?
1: I am good. It is not quite. Oh, it is out this afternoon now uh, here in uh, Southern California, where I live in Simi Valley. Beautiful day, getting a little hot. And uh, I'm a, as a my teacher job. I'm off for the summer, so I you know I don't have to work today, so I'm available today. But uh, summer's always teachers are always doing pretty well in summer.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So is it true about the computer programmer bit? Because I didn't know. My f-
1: first professional job was computer programmer. I, I I worked when I was at college. I. And I graduated, I went to, how long do we have for this story? Because I've got a lot of questions. When I went to college, my first day, if you had asked me what I was going to be, I would have said, I don't know, maybe a lawyer. And then four years later, when I graduated, if you asked me what I wanted to be, I would have said, the only thing I know for sure is that I don't want to be a lawyer. So that was all I got out of four years. Well, not all I got, but that was what I, that was far I got in in that thing. So, but I I went back at the end of my college career. So what classes did I really enjoy doing? Which classes did I do the best in? And computer programming. I took an intro to programming class. I got 100 on every homework. I got 100 on the midterm. I took an hour and a half midterm in 15 minutes. Three and a half hour final. I did it in a half an hour. I got 100. And I never went to class either because I would just go and sit on the computer and look at what the lesson was and just work on it. And I spent hours and hours. I would do all the homework for the class. And then I would spend another hour or two just playing around and having fun with it. And at some point, I looked back and said, well, gosh, that's A, it's a good job. And B, I seem to have some talent at it, and I seem to enjoy it, so that was what I pursued. So I said, let me see if I could get a job as a computer programmer. Actually, at one point, I saw the movie Tron, Mm -hmm. and Tron was the first real shot of computer graphics in the movies. If you weren't alive back then, it's hard to imagine what that really was. But I thought computer graphics, because I had a strong desire to be graphic. I always took photographs. I can't really draw, but I always loved visual arts. So I thought computer graphics seems like a good combination of my interests. So I was able to get a job as a programmer trainee at ABC Television and um, because their ratings system was written in APL. Now, I don't know if you know anything about programming languages, but Little, if you have, you've, but yeah. so you've probably never heard of APL. You have to know a lot to have even heard of APL. It was a really weird language. It uses an odd keyboard. There are Greek letters that are a whole operators. So if you put an iota character and then five, that generates a vector of one, two, three, four, five. Okay. And so a program is like a sort algorithm is six characters, six characters long. It's incredibly dense and you can write programs super fast that do amazing stuff, very hard to debug, and it doesn't run super fast because it's an interpreted language. Anyway, that some of that part you can just edit that out. <laughs> but ABC, I had programmed in APL. The class at, at Yale was taught in APL, so I knew APL. So they're like, oh, could you handle our rating system? And I was like, yeah, probably. So I got hired and I, in the mornings I would uh, train in COBOL, which Mm -hmm. you might've heard, and then in the afternoons I would work in APL. And so that was my start. So then I was a programmer for seven years. I, I when Andy Godwin, when you read this, I'm still coming back to you with this website. I have a trick that I wrote a program to run it on my computer. And I want to have Andy program it into a, a website so that anybody can use it. But yeah, that's uh, that was my first job as a programmer. And then I became a writer. I worked in advertising for eight or ten years. Then I worked in television. And then I got our show got canceled. And then I got on another show, and I got fired from that. And then I couldn't get on another show. And at some point, we had a child now. So I got a big teaching credential and became a teacher. There you go. What happened is I was tutoring a lot of kids. This is part, five more seconds. I was tutoring a lot of kids. My wife is a teacher and she would have kids that need help. So I would tutor them. And I found that was much more rewarding than at the time my writing job was advertising, trying to sell diet products. And I just found that teaching kids was just much more rewarding. So that's what I did. And I, I have to admit, that's my one piece of life advice in general. Look at what you do, what you actually spend time doing. That's probably what you enjoy doing. Figure out how you can <laughs> do that as much as you can. That's, that's one of my goals. Yeah. So all right, yeah. so anyway, that's how I all my career is before becoming an, a teacher. And uh, yeah.
0: There you go. So what's your magic origin story? You've got twenty four seconds.
1: I was at uh, Larry Nussbaum's house at his birthday party, he was eight or nine uh, magician came out with a glass full of sugar which he could sprinkle out into the audience put it down on the table took this purple I'm pretty sure it was purple metal tube placed it over it snapped his fingers lifted it up it was full of M&Ms <sighs> the greatest still the greatest magic trick I've ever seen I have never forgotten that it's first trick I ever really saw live in person I think
0: that is a and good that, origin story
1: that was it and then I would do the coin roll in uh, high school in class
0: and drop it frequently and get into trouble. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I've you read some are... very accommodating teachers. I must admit. Now that I look back on it, <laughs> I've never had a kid in my class who practiced his coin roll. That would have been a fun thing. You actually, would probably I'll tell you this. encouraged it. I would have totally. I would have said, "No, no, you're doing it wrong here. Try this one." <laughs> the uh, the I actually do that because occasionally I'll see a kid doing the uh, you know the rubber uh, mm-hmm. pen trick, and a lot of them don't do it correctly. So let's take a moment for this podcast. Let's see the proper let's technique If that. If,
0: let's do it. This is great for the audio listeners.
1: What they do is wrong is oh, the audio only version. I'll try to. Pete
0: is holding a pen.
1: <laughs> I will explain. So I'm holding the pen and it's important where you hold it. You want to hold it maybe between a third and a quarter of the way from the end. And now you can move the pen up and down by moving your fingers sideways. And that will rock the pen back and forth. But that's not what you want to do. That will not create the illusion. What you want to do is relax your fingers and then move your hand up and down so the pen is swinging freely somewhat of its own volition and you're just limiting it. That looks much better. I think you can, some of you on the screen can can see that in this. This looks like you're just wiggling a pen back and forth. This looks like the pen is rubbery and it's bending. So anyway, that's that's what I would see a kid doing the pen. I'd like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. And then I would teach the whole class how to do the rubber pencil trick. So
0: <laughs> And there is nothing wrong with that. Pete McCabe, yeah. you are best known in our industry for scripting yes, magic one yep. and two. How did these books come about? Sorry, I finished the question just as you were taking no, a sip it's of great. coffee. I timed it, it horribly. How did okay. these books come about?
1: I was it's fascinating. There was an email forum is the closest thing I can call it called the EG and it was started by a guy who worked for GE in upstate New York and magicians would join they would send their messages to the him he would collect them all into a digest and every day you got today's EG so it was and almost when like was a this? this was it started in the 90s i have the entire I just got a week ago, the entire archive of everything, 4,000 issues. And I was on for a lot and I wrote a lot. And a lot of what I wrote was, you know, it's me learning to be a writer and working out all these thoughts and interacting with all these great names. Tommy Wonders on it and Max Maven was on it. So I just got it. I've been going back through everything I had. And you can, I can see in my posts, I wrote a thing for Genie Magazine, script writing for magicians. And it was literally just how to format your scripts. Okay. What is a script? So, what do you, how do you write an action line? Right. You're inside your What is the di- How do you indent this? How do you write your action lines? What do you put? And then why you might want to do that? You know, you want to think of everything from the audience's perspective. This, the script is, doesn't have any moves in it unless the audience is going to see them. They only, mm-hmm. you only write down what the audience sees. And so I wrote this, a couple of things, and put it up in Genie. And I had a lot of positive feedback. And one thing I noticed was that magicians, I'm not a real magician, I never have been. Um, so, Because of these books, I get to hang out with a lot of real top magicians who seem to accept me, I don't know, as one of them, but within some circle that I'm very pleased to be inside of. But I'm always keen to be aware that I'm I'm the outsider who has been let in as sort of a guest. But I wrote that, and then I wrote another one, a couple more articles in Genie that all end up in Genie. Uh, one of them was, uh, how do you do that? How do how do you answer that question? You could script that in advance if you're probably going to get that question if you do magic, unless you really suck. You're probably going to get that question. You should have a couple of answers in advance, or you should at least know what the standard answers look like, because yep. that was one of the. So a I lot have of a question
0: the, about that later.
1: <laughs> a, a lot of the initial parts of and scripting magic one and two, the two books are a little different, but scripting magic one was a lot of it was like are you sure you want to do this like this way? Like this is stuff that a lot of magicians say, maybe like, how do you do that? Very well. Thank you. That's, you know, as I wrote this up, if I'm writing a script for a movie, not magic, a movie, and there's a magician is a character in the movie. And I want to show that this magician is an asshole. Mm-hmm. All I would do is somebody walks up and says, how did you do that? Very well. Thank you. And that's it. The audience would know.
0: Yeah. Here's you a cool thing. Now has You're a jerk.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Oh, can you keep a secret? Yes. So can I. Oh, I got you again. R and, I, and that's that's all you'd have to do. Everybody who read the script would know this guy's an asshole. That's uh-huh. all you'd have to do. The only way I think I wrote, the only way you could really make him worse is to show him abusing his animals, which would be obviously worse. But that's it. And then a lot of magicians have these lists of, of lines of good responses to that line. And most of them, if you saw it in a movie, your immediate response would be that character's an asshole.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe you should, and I wrote an article kind of trying to gently get this point across uh, and then suggesting some other alternatives. So I had a couple of like specific how you might handle this scripting issue. Um, And then somebody in the EG wrote, Pete, you ought to write a book about scripting magic. And my response, the next issue was actually I'm working on it. So that was how it happened. It just slowly started to rise. Like I can maybe write a book for a while. I was, um, My wife was teaching, but I was still working at the agency, so I would stay up late. She would go to sleep. So I went to a movie, and I'm in the theater of the movie, and I thought there should be a whole book of actual scripts. This is what scripting is like, and I should get people to contribute the scripts. I'm not going to write them myself. So I emailed uh, David Regal and John Lubbock, both of whom I knew. Hey, you guys want to write this book with me? And they both sent back, this is a great book. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. (laughs) This is a great (laughs) idea for a book. Go do it. Don't ask me anymore. (laughs) But they both ended up contributing. Uh, And then I just started asking people, would they contribute scripts? Um, And Eugene Berger first, well, John and David both agreed they would submit scripts. Eugene Berger, I asked him, he was like, absolutely. He agreed to be interviewed. I interviewed him and John. He submitted scripts. He was very supportive. Everybody I asked, that was where I knew that I was onto something. Because every magician that I like, I would ask, and they, you know, do you script and do you have a script I could use in my book to help others? And the answer was always yes. I script everybody. I've met anybody who doesn't. And then, um, yeah, sure, go ahead. There was only maybe two magicians out of the first twenty-eight six I asked twenty-eight guys, and all but two of them said yes. So it was they, they, you know, they knew how important it was. Still, there's books that talk about the importance of scripting, but still scripting magic and scripting magic too as far as i know the only books just on the subject of how to write a script yeah in magic and that's i mean i'm, I'm i hope they're helpful but it's sh- there should be more i think
0: uh, they are don't sound like i'm some ha- no they are unarguably arguably helpful it, it, it's a beautiful segue into the next question which is good how does it feel to be responsible for one of the most recommended books in magic if you look on magic forums on reddit on anywhere on the blog posts that i do for vanishing inc when people are asking about magic books that are essential scripting magic one and two is always recommended how does that make you feel man
1: it makes me feel great i'm gonna say that i can talk about how good i think the books are it's relatively little to do with me i think the what makes them great is the fact that somebody reads them and goes, wow, I love this magician. Oh my God. They script all their tricks. I had no idea. And then they, by the time you're at the end of the book, you're like, geez, every good magician scripts their tricks. I should get on the bandwagon. So that is the Ben. I think the, the value of the book is far beyond my contribution. I hope I did a good job yeah, organizing uh, it, but
0: that could be a little self deprecating. I think you okay. did a very, I, good I, it's the way I, run. <laughs> I think, yeah.
1: Um, but, um, but I do, I'll say this magic at magic alive maybe two or three years after the books came out, I went and did scripting magic workshop, thousand people in the big ballroom was great. And so I was there and I brought books and I signed, there was a little thing at somebody's thing where I was signing books for people. That's a great thrill. I know some guy came up to me, would you sign my book? I've never been asked for an autograph in my life. So that was a great thrill. So I'm signing the book and the guy goes, Oh, I said, where are you from? Australia. Oh my God. Well, I'm really honored because even the first one, not a light book to carry it all the way from Australia just for me to sign it. I'm really honored. And the guy goes, Oh, you're huge in Australia. And I, I'm i still telling people about this story. I am huge in Australia. Apparently, there were only, at the time, maybe only two magic book shops in Australia, two main ones, and they both, okay. of the owners, recommended the book. So everybody in Australia is like, the cave is the thing. <laughs> I'm huge in Australia. I just, That's just hilarious to me. It is that's hilarious. Wonderful. But I will also tell you this. When I was recording the master class, you've heard, I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of imposter syndrome. Yeah. I often have that in magic because I'm not a professional magician. I never have been. I, I am a professional writer and organizer and I analyze subjects and I try to, you know, seek out the truth that's underneath a complicated subject and put it in a form you can read and understand and, and, and experience it. But I'm not a magician. And here I am writing all these books about how to tell magicians who are magicians what to do. And I'm not a magician. So my I occasionally do feel a burst of imposter syndrome. And when I recorded the uh, masterclass a couple of weeks ago, that pegged the needle. I was just like, seriously, I'm like, oh, is anybody think I'm worth this? I don't know. But I do, I, I know Lisa Cousins, who used to work in the Castle Library, is like, yeah, this is know librarian. yeah you know, that's right. she was probably there at the, at the uh, book signing. She wrote an article for, I don't know if it was for the Magic Castle newsletter, and the headline was, she came to show me the headline, and she was working on the headline, and the the first draft was, How Pete McCabe Saved Magic. I was like, you cannot put that (laughs) as your headline. But, and she was joking, but I put it there, but she was trying to write, she wanted to give me a lot of credit for, you know, there's a lot more attention paid to scripting now than there was when I wrote Scripting Magic 1, how much of that credit I Again, it's the 26 guys who contributed to the book, who all, they are the yeah, ones who yeah, spread the word. Yeah, yeah, but... But it's, it's, uh, but anyway, all right, was that enough answer for that question?
0: Yeah, it was perfect. What do you think the biggest misconception people have about the word script is when it comes to magic?
1: The biggest misconception they have is that they need to recite the script word for word if they have one. And that is one of the things that just didn't really coalesce in my head until the last, until Scripting Magic 2. But I write all my scripts out and I don't ever try to recite them word for word at all. I mean, I write them out and by the process of writing them out and working on them and editing them and whatever, they do drive in your head. I'm sure I say a fair number of the lines word for word, but I'm not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is make sure I have considered every moment in the script from the audience's perspective. Does it help get them to whatever mindset I want them to have for a laugh or a moment of, you know, uh, wonder or something serious or something meaningful? Whatever it's I'm going to try to get them to. Is this line helping? Is it distracting? Is it in the way? Is everything I do? That's Then I get up and I just do this trick. I don't worry about am I going to say the lines? The lines that are important will come to me. And I'm going to deliver it. My performance is much more important than any recitation of the lines. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to deliver it in a way that is energetic and fun and do what I, the best I can. I'm not going to try to re- recite the lines word for word. I don't have a lot of practice at that anyway. Um, but I will say Brad Henderson performed at the castle, do a great set. He's going along it was like, conversational, everybody thought. And something fell or somebody dropped a drink or something. He had to stop. So he had to go back like a sentence and a half. And he went back a sentence and a half. And it was the exact same words. And it was the exact same delivery. And it was fantastic. And just for a moment, you could see, oh, he's doing this as a recitation, just like, you know, an actor doing Hamlet. But it was and then for one second, you could see it. And immediately it faded. And he's just so good at it that he could do that and actors can do that. I don't really have that. I don't practice that at all. So, so I think that's the biggest misconception. It's the
0: power of Brad's beard. That's what. Oh, well, yes.
1: He, I can't remember this was where his beard, what his beard state was during this performance. I've seen him several times, but that's the biggest (laughs) misconception I have. I think people have is that they don't want to write a script because they don't think they're a good actor Mm -hmm. and they can't recite it. And I don't, recite my scripts, but I also think most magicians are much better actors than they give themselves credit for. They just yeah. don't practice correctly. If yeah. you can do the French drop, it's all acting. This is the actual technical skill required. Hold it, you see that? Yeah. That, that was it. Yeah. That's the skill of the French drop. If you, if you can't act like you're holding a coin in your hand, it's nothing, Yeah. it's all acting. So if you've ever done the French drop, you've been acting. If you've ever done any slight, you're acting like you're not doing a slight. Roberto Joby can shuffle the cards, false shuffles all sorts of moves, carrying on a conversation like he's just not even paying any attention. He's a really good actor. He doesn't have the range to play somebody who's very far into him and disappear into that part. And oh my God, I didn't even recognize you. That's only one part of acting. And in yeah. fact, honestly, that's probably a relatively small part of acting for most of the stars. You see, they don't disappear completely into their parts. The, when the ones do that, it's amazing because it's so rare. Most of the time you see Paul Rudd. Blake Voigt. He was working with Paul Rudd on one of the Amazon. He said, Paul Rudd is the only actor in the world who only ever plays Paul Rudd. He is Paul Rudd. He just is that nice? He's that nice he guy. Does it he's really playing well. that nice guy. He's so good at it. But he's the only actor he's ever seen, he says, is just not acting at all. He's just that. Well, so that's what I think about the scripting. Don't you write a script. This is the other thing. This is I was I'm working with the juniors program at the Magic Castle. Tomorrow I'm going to go down and we have our monthly meeting. So one of the persons came up and was doing a trick, the back-to-back book test. Yeah, which is a good setup. And so, when you have an idea for presentation, the back-to-back book test or the invisible deck, what does it give you? What does it give you? How many moments can you create in the script? Can you have a line that will refer back to it and make the audience go, oh. Can it help to clarify the effect? Great. Can it give a laugh? Almost always great. For me, that's almost always great. Will it change people's perspective or prepare them for something or make them look at something in a different way? How many of those do you get from that presentational idea? That, I believe, is how you evaluate a presentational idea. Is this a good idea or not? I don't know. What do we get from it? Make a list. Yeah. Okay, now we can evaluate it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's the process of going through the script. For me, what can I put here? Can I do, is there anything I can do with this moment? Okay, and okay. And maybe there isn't. And then you go through. And again, I'm not reciting at all. I want to have as many of those things as possible in the trick.
0: You, you, you talk in Scripting Magic 2 about the pre-scripting process, which is yes. essentially what you've touched on then. And it starts with an idea you wish to communicate. So yes yes for people that are struggling uh uh-huh. ha- how do you come up with that initial idea
1: well first of all let me say that it doesn't always have to be an idea because that does seem very highfalutin and scaring mm-hmm. to people it can be an emotional response okay which is a lot easier i think to try to i can make that happen right i can give right. people an emotional response often there's a moment of realization that is incredibly can be incredibly powerful i was uh, this is my uh, my favorite current trick to do. Is the cut and restored rope, the first trick I ever learned. And I, when I standard method, cut it and then there's it's tied in the middle. And I have the I'm gonna I want to if I restore the rope, then it's a miracle. But at the end, it's just a rope. There's no evidence that there was a miracle. I want to leave you with permanent evidence of the miracle. So I'm gonna move this cut from the middle down to near one of the ends. And I don't know if I can do that and leave you with two different length pieces of rope. Well, that's permanent evidence of the miracle. This is an El Duco idea that I got out of an old linking ring from 1973. But you just slide the knot down to the bottom and untie it. And what do you know? A short piece and a long piece. It's I love this idea. It's so brilliant. <sighs> and I was doing that for a while. And I thought that was great. And then at some point I thought, I'm going to move it. And I want I'm going to try to move it down near the end. And so I would grab it and pull like I was trying to, move it but it didn't move at all and then I would let my hand off and I look and it didn't move so I grab it again and I would pull and this time I would pull it a half an inch maybe and maybe even some of it slipping out of my hand then when I pull down it's slightly there but you can't tell and I look at it maybe but I can't tell and I grab and I pull it a little bit further and now I'm like it's an inch down and I hold it up to somebody in the front row is it is it getting lower I can't and I keep pulling and my goal is somebody in the front row is going to realize that it's moving i'm not going to tell them at some point they're going to look and go wait is that moving this is the this is the 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 path i want them to go on i want them at some point i want them to first go no it can't move that's ridiculous he's just pulling it down out of his hand Wait. then i'll 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 nullify that and whatever and then i want them to go wait is that happening and then i want them to go oh my god And at that moment is when I'm going to try to grab it and then just slide it all the way down to the end. And if I can get the timing right on that, people almost, ah, you can almost hear them. But the goal is it's going to happen from the front of the audience back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want the wave of realization to sweep over the cusp because they'll hear somebody next to them see it. Mm -hmm. And then that's part of them seeing it. And that's the whole, now if I can take the audience on that trip, then when it's off and I untie it and permanent evidence of the miracle and cheering, it's great. And it's the same exact trick. And it, you have to go so slowly. This is another fantastic lesson that you just can't, you can't go too slowly. I mean, I would take, I've taken two full minutes to move it all the way down. And I mean, and again, part of it's because I'm not in a professional environment, right? Sure. In a classroom, I can take as long as I want. But nobody, you could hear a pin drop in a bunch of, you know, 47th graders are all listening quietly. There must be something to it. So, um, so that is, there's, that's scripting. You don't have to recite anything. Yeah. You don't have to even say anything, but you have scripted out in advance how you're going to take the audience on that trip. Yeah. That, I think, is um, is great. Now, if you want to have an idea in your script, then there's a couple of ways. First of all, start with simple ideas. Don't be afraid to take a simple idea. Um, but mostly, think of one. It's one way to sort of reverse engineer it is to take a look at the tricks that you really like doing and then c does there any if you were going to make a you know fairly obvious metaphor out of this trick what would it be and you don't always want to pick the obvious ones because they're obvious but if you look at those you can maybe start get a sense of what is important to you what do you think is important i think family is the most important thing so i'm gonna if i'm looking for an idea family is first thing i'm gonna think of what's important to me and then another thing i always look at is what common uh what's the word like expressions that i disagree with okay chris rock had this bit about uh, everybody says life is short he says that's not true life is long especially if you make a big mistake and i think that is absolutely true in fact i have a trick that is basically that um as its underlying idea that life is not short life is long and you need to live it accordingly right if you think life is super short you might take all sorts of crazy risks that if you are planning for the long term, you wouldn't take. If you think life is super short, you might eat unhealthy food and mm-hmm. that you would regret later if you thought life was long. Mostly, if you wanna to try to achieve something and you think life is short, it's hard to to really commit yourself to achieving a long-term project because life's too short. But if you know life is long, I wanna be better at whatever, start working on it. Start mm-hmm. now. Work on it a little bit. Work on it a little bit your whole life. You can't believe how good you'll be in five years.